turn again to Daniel chapter 5. We'll pick up our reading at verse 17 through to the end of the chapters. Daniel chapter 5 and verse 17 as you find your place. I'd also like to welcome all who have gathered in the Savior's name. We do have a message from the Lord and we believe that the Lord would have this word for some individual in our gathering tonight or maybe watching online. And so let's look to the Lord, look to His word and then we'll have a time of prayer. Daniel chapter 5, verse 17, through to the end of the chapter. Let's hear the word of our God. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let thy gifts be to thyself, and give thy rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing unto the king, and make known to him the interpretation. O thou king, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom, and majesty, and glory, and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he slew. And whom he would, he kept alive. And whom he would, he set up. And whom he would, he put down. When his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne. And they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beasts. And his dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven. Till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men, and that he appointeth over it whomsoever he will. And thou, son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this. But has lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before thee. Thou and thy lords, thy wives, and thy concubines have drunk wine in them, and thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold, of brass, iron, wood, and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know. And the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, hast thou not glorified. Then was the part of the hand sent from him, and his writing was written. And this is the writing that was written, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Eupharsin. This is the interpretation of the thing, Mene. God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet, and put a chain of gold about his neck, and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. In that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain, and Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. Amen. And we trust the Lord will bless the public reading of His Word to our heart. Let's just unite together in prayer. And I invite and encourage all God's people to enter in to pray. And pray for the stillness in the meeting, the help in the preaching. That the Lord will be glorified. And that His name will be exalted and sinners will be spoken to this night. So let's unite together in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank Thee and we bless Thee for the meeting. We thank Thee for the assembling of Thy people. And we have joined together and we come around the means of grace. We thank Thee for Thy Word. We thank Thee for a Word that is established. 
So we thank the Lord for a word that is powerful. Where the word of the king is, there is power. I've been reading here about earthly kings. And they were able in their kingdoms to their subjects. They were able to slay and set up whomsoever they will under thine hand. And yet thou art sovereign. Thou art supreme. We thank thee for the Lord Jesus who is the king of kings. And the Lord of lords. And we come to thee in his name and upon that work. And we pray, Sovereign God, that Thou will work. We pray, O God, that Thou will come and use this preacher. I pray, Lord, and I take for the infilling of the Spirit of God. Lord, I know that Thou art one who keeps Thy word. And I pray that Thou would use me this night. And Thou would speak, O God, to those who have assembled. We believe, Lord, who sat in the study. Their minds, our hearts went out, O God. And we believe that Thou would have individuals here, Lord, and we pray that Thou would speak, that Thou, O God, would show them that Thou art merciful, and Thou art calling to them, and Thou art warning them. And I pray that, Lord, that they would take heed, and Lord, that Thou would, Lord, speak very particularly and definitely to those who are assembled here, Lord, in this house, those that sit amongst us, the children, the young people, right up through every age bracket. Come, O God, we pray, that the breath of God come through this gathering over the internet. O God, come, I pray. Bring glory to Christ. We look to Thee. We lift our eyes heavenward. Save the lost and glorify Thy Son. O God, we pray that He would set up His throne in their heart and that they would bow their knee before Thee. Come, we pray. Hear us. Do this preacher good. And may the hand of God be upon thee. For I pray this all in the Savior's name, with an eye to his everlasting praise and glory. Amen. Though all our book has impacted society, like the Bible, it's made even an impact on the English language, especially the translation of the authorized version. There's many well-known everyday sayings that we find either directly or indirectly in the Word of God. Take, for example, when someone just about gets out of a very difficult or dangerous situation, well, we say they escape by the skin, the skin of their teeth. Well, that expression is found in Job chapter 19 and the verse 20. When two people are helplessly and hopelessly undertaking a task, we might look at them and say something like this, it's like the blind leading the blind. Well, that expression is found in Matthew chapter 15 and the verse 14. Or when someone in a high position in society or elevated by their own pride is brought down to earth uh, with a bump, we might say, how the mighty have fallen, found in Second Samuel and the chapter 1 verse 19. Another figure of speech is to wash one hand of something. Well, that's a phrase that, that really means to refuse to take responsibility, and it's based on the actions of Pilate in Matthew chapter 27 and the verse 24. Now, the account we have read in Daniel chapter 5, it provides us with the basis of another expression that we use in the English language. The writing is on the wall. That's become a popular idiom for something bad is about to happen. There are clear signs that a situation is going to get inevitably worse. It's going to become extremely difficult or unpleasant. Now, we need to keep in mind 
Now, what we have read here in Daniel 5 is actual history. God's redemptive plan is based on historical truth. This is not some legend. This is not some uh, tale of morality. But this is something that actually happened. Now, some critics who doubted the Bible as the Word of God, they used to use the events here of this chapter as evidence as they claimed that the Bible was an error. They used to say, well, look, the Bible says that at this time, Belshazzar was king. But we know from well, uh, well-known historical works that the ruler at the time of the Babylonian Empire at 539 B.C. was a man by the name of Nabadonus. Nabadonus. There was no Belshazzar. The Bible must have got it wrong. And then all of a sudden, well, archaeologists, they started to dig up Babylonian tablets from this period, and the name Belshazzar appeared with the inscription, Son of the King. What actually turned out to be the case was that, yet again, the Bible was correct, and the historians had been wrong. Now, let me give you the historical setting here. We know the year of these events exactly. It is 539 B.C. Daniel has been in exile in Babylon for 47 years. Nebuchadnezzar the Great, he ruled for 43 of those years, seven years as a madman in the field. We read about Nebuchadnezzar's, I believe, conversion in the previous chapter. But he's been dead since 563 B.C. And Daniel doesn't record anything for us between Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. Nebuchadnezzar is mentioned in verse 37 of chapter 4, and Belshazzar is introduced at the beginning of chapter 5, and we have nothing in between. But we must say that reliable history fills in for us very clearly what happened between these two chapters. Nebuchadnezzar was eventually, after two brief uh, periods of rulers ruling, he was succeeded on his throne by his son-in-law, a man by the name of Nabadonus. I've already mentioned his name. Nabadonus had a son called Belshazzar, a name which meant Baal, Baal the Babylonian false god. Baal protects the king. From archaeological artifacts, we learn that this Nabadonus, he went on a long military campaign into Arabia. But before he went on that, comp- that campaign, he left his son as ruler in his stead in Babylon, co-regent, so to speak. Belshazzar, therefore, was second in command in the empire only to his father. And that explains why it explains why he can offer to make the successful interpreter of the writing third in the kingdom. Nabadonus, the father, was away in the campaign. He left Belshazzar, a co-regent, there as ruler in Babylon. And so, therefore, he can offer to the interpreter of the writing on the wall and make him third in the kingdom. Now, Nabadonus's campaign, it was successful. And he established his new residence in the capital of Arabia, Tima, while his son reigned in Babylon. And everything seemed to be going right and well for the Babylonians. But God had his plans. While Babylon was used of God as a rod of correction in his hand against and upon the children of Israel, 
He also promised them a return from captivity. The Redeemer who would come from the line of Abraham, well, he must be born in Bethlehem and he must die in Jerusalem. And so God the Sovereign was orchestrating all historical events. Cyrus, the king of the Medes and the Persians, was raised up. And they were advancing through the land and they encounter Nabadonus. And they wipe out his army and they take him captive. The great city of Babylon, well, it becomes the object in their crosshairs. And they begin to make their advance. The once glorious gold head The crowning empire of the times of the Gentiles is about to fall suddenly and totally in one night. And this is the context that brings us to the beginning of chapter 5. Now the title for my message this evening is really that little saying, The writing is on the wall. The writing is on the wall. And I want to bring four things to your attention this evening. First point will be longer. The last three will be Briefer. Firstly, we want to consider from this chapter the depths of Belshazzar's depravity. The depths of Belshazzar's depravity. Now we have this outlined in the opening four verses. There we have a scene of drunken debauchery and deliberate desecration. The party was in full swing. In these opening verses, it was a time when the lusts of the flesh were being fulfilled. All manner of uncleanness took place. Now, you and I, we're not, to think, we're not to think that this generation, our generation, has invented gross immorality. Histories record the vile accounts of those times. Drink was flowing and food was abundant. Describing the feasts of those days, Athanasius, he writes this, 1,000 animals were slaughtered daily for the king. These comprise horses, camels, oxen, asses, deer, and most of the smaller animals, many birds consumed, including Arabian ostriches, geese, and chickens. Now, it's hard to conceive that this man, Belshazzar, co-regent of this mighty empire of Babylon, he could be that stupid to hold a feast to engage in such things with a thousand of his lords, officers, and princes when the Persians were advancing on that great city. But Babylon was formidable. This man thought he was untouchable, that he was safe and secure. According to one Greek historian, the city of Babylon was 15 miles square. It had walls 87 feet thick. It had walls that were 350 feet high. And all around those walls, there was mighty towers erected for watchmen to scan all that was going on round about them. The city had a hundred massive bronze gates. And they had no problem with water, for the river Euphrates flowed through the city. It was also said there was enough food stored up in that city for 20 years. So what? If the Medes and the Persians come to besiege the city, we'll outlast them. This man thought that there was nothing that could touch him. He had nothing to fear. Everything was going for them. Maybe this man, Belshazzar, that we've read off here, it's a little like you. It's a little description of you this evening. Granted, you might not be indulging to the excesses that he engaged in, 
But for you in this moment in time, it's all about the gratification of fleshly lusts and the desires of the flesh. That's all that consumes you. It's what you're living for, young person. You feel that you're secure. You feel that, well, nothing can touch you. All is going well for you at the moment. Your health, your happiness, it remains. Oh, you might acknowledge that all around the city of your soul, yes, there's death, there's danger, but you think to yourself, it won't come near me. I am impregnable to these things, but let me tell you, you're not. You're not. You might expect this to be the conduct of a heathen king who knew nothing of a holy and a righteous God, but this was not the case with Belshazzar. He was not a man without a witness. Belshazzar, the son of Nebuchadnezzar's daughter, had grown up knowing the story of his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar's conversion. Just as an aside, Daniel, he calls Belshazzar Nebuchadnezzar's son. But it does not mean that there's an error here. Really, in the Scripture, in the Hebrew, a son or a grandson would be expressed by the term father because in the Hebrew, there was no word for grandfather. So often it would be the, the study of the context which did, would determine if the individual was a father or a grandfather. So Nebuchadnezzar is the grandfather of this man, this Young man, we might say. And Belshazzar, he had this witness. No doubt he had heard the testimony of his grandfather. Knowing the decree that he sent out into all the empire that's recorded for us in chapter 4, finishing with these words, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. This man, Belshazzar, was without excuse. He could not plead ignorance, and neither can you this evening. You cannot plead that you do not know. In verse 22, Daniel rebukes Belshazzar, and he says, And thou, his son, O Belshazzar, has not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this. You knew all about this. But even though he knew about God, and even though he had the witness of his grandfather, he lived for self, he lived for sin. He reveled in the sins of his flesh. Now, I know I'm addressing people like this in the meeting tonight. You're not ignorant. You have a godly grandfather. Or you have some other relation, and yet you have not humbled yourself You've rather you've followed the, the world than you haven't followed the word. So here is this man, he's fulfilling all the base desires of the sinful flesh when death was at his door. But it wasn't that he just rejected the message of the Most High God, waving it away. We read that he goes out of his way to mock God. He goes out of his way to mock God, the God of his grandfather. In the midst of his drunken stupor, he commands his servants to bring the gold and the silver vessels which were taken from the temple in Jerusalem into the banqueting hall so that they can drink wine out of them. Now these were cups that were used by the priests for the drink offerings. 
an offering of joy unto the Lord for mercies received. And with those cups, Belshazzar and all his companions, they praised the gods of gold, silver, brass, iron, wood, and stone. This was an open act of desecration and blasphemy, defying the God of Israel. They were giving that which was due to God alone, to their false gods. That's the depths of man's depravity. He will worship the creature more than the Creator. And here we see that in this whole account that immorality and idolatry, well, they go hand in hand. When a nation is given over to idolatry, it is flooded with immorality. And that's exactly what happens. This man was an idolater, and in a sense, he was an immoral person. I put it to you tonight, sinner, that you are giving what ought to be God's. Praise, worship, adoration, and love, you're giving it to the false gods of this world, whatever they might be, the gods of pleasure or leisure, the gods of silver, the gods of gold. Time for everything else to bow down and worship the gods of this world that cannot hear, that cannot see, that cannot do anything for you. And yet there you are. Your heart is in love with those things. Absolute defiance of God. The depths of depravity. Belshazzar here, he challenged God. Do you know something? God accepted the challenge. While their cups were filled with wine, God's cup was filled with wrath ready to be poured out. And I warn you tonight, young person, older person, sinner in this meeting, sinner at home, do not challenge God by the provocation of your sin. He'll accept the challenge. He did here. Verse 5. Daniel 5, verse 5. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against a candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. The party, it came to abrupt halt. The mirth and the song, well, it ceased. The king's countenance was changed by what he saw. And he do not have time to go into it, but archaeological evidence suggests that there's a good possibility that the divine message was written above the king's head. God's sentence was above his head. God's sentence is above your head tonight, sinner. Condemned. You're condemned already. That's God's sentence. And this man, he trembled with fear. His knees, they knocked together. The message from God, it hit home to his heart. He was troubled. But what was his response? What was his response to this? Well, it's exactly what we might expect from someone who is depraved. It's what we might expect from a sinner whose heart does not have the accompanying work of the Holy Spirit. He turned to the world. He turned to the peers for an explanation. You see, if you've been lying to yourself your whole life, you do not suddenly want a dose of truth in the time of crisis. You want another lie. You want something that's going to soothe your conscience. That's what you want. And what does Belshazzar do? Well, he calls the astrologers 
and the magicians and the soothsayers and the wise men. He calls them all in. He turns to the world for an interpretation, for help, for an explanation. And that's a sign of a depraved man. Daniel, who had once been the leader under Nebuchadnezzar, well, he's no longer among those men. Times and leadership had changed. Nebuchadnezzar had learned to value the truth of Daniel's God. But his successors, well, they preferred the comfort of fairy tales and lies. And you know, that's exactly the sort of thing that people want to hear when the reality, when the truth of death and judgment and conviction comes home to the heart. They all want the nonsense They want the nonsense that's pushed from many a pulpit in this land. All the rubbish that you hear concerning the afterlife and heaven and hell and all those things. The departed loved one, that little feller, white feller that floats down. That's all superstition. That's all it is. And men and women, they want to turn to that. Oh, it's better for my loved one. Oh, they're at peace now. Everyone goes to heaven. It's nonsense. Absolute nonsense. And that's where depraved men they turn to. They turn to the world to soothe their troubled conscience. That's what they do. They turn for an interpretation of the things of this world. They turn to the evolutionists, the psychologists, the astrologists, the spiritists. But I tell you something, the soothsayers, the magicians, they can't explain the, uh, the inscription. They can't help this man, Belshazzar. And I tell you something else, the world cannot help you, troubled sinner. It cannot help you with the answers to the great questions of life. The world and the devil will lie to you. Belshazzar is in darkness to what all this means. But it's at this point in verse 10 that we read that the queen enters. She was not present at the banquet to begin with. And we know that she isn't one of Belshazzar's wives or concubines because they were present. We read that. This is one of the queen mothers, or the queen mother. It is probable it is Belshazzar's maternal grandmother, the wife of Nebuchadnezzar the Great. Now, the reason many people believe that this is his maternal grandmother, the wife of Nebuchadnezzar the Great, is because of the way she speaks about Daniel. She speaks as if she has first-hand knowledge of him. She refers to him primarily by his Hebrew name, not his Babylonian name. She holds him in high esteem. She says that he's a man of excellent spirit, and she has the confidence that he has the ability to interpret the words by his God. And what does Belshazzar do? Well, he listens to his grandmother He listens to his grandmother. I wonder, do you have a godly grandmother? I encourage you, young person, listen to your godly grandmother. And this is what he does. He listens to his grandmother, the queen mother, and he calls for Daniel. But immediately he puts Daniel in his place. He reminds him condescendingly 
of who he is, a child of a captivity. Here's man in his pride. He also makes the offer. The offer to reward Daniel. It's as though Belshazzar, well, he still wants everyone to know that he's the one in control, but he's not. He's not. The depths of his depravity is revealed by the heights of his pride. He thinks he's in control. He thinks he has us all sorted. He thinks the city is impregnable, that nothing can touch him, that he can mock the high God of heaven, and nothing will happen to him. And the depths of his depravity is exhibited by the heights of his pride. Daniel, he refuses the reward. He's not serving God for the trinkets of this world, but he will open up the meaning of the message to Belshazzar written by the finger of God, meaning, meaning, to kill your farson. The writing was on the wall for, for Belshazzar. And that brings me to my last three points this evening. They will be briefer. As we consider this message that Belshazzar got from God, we notice here in this message the determination of Belshazzar's days. Well, this comes across to us in the first two words written on the wall. Mini, mini, mini means numbered. And the prophet Daniel, he gives the interpretation of these words to the king in verse 25. And he tells them there, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. You want it in the vernacular, well, it's simply this, your number's up, your number is up. God who numbers all kingdoms. In the days of man, he says, you're finished, Belshazzar, you're finished, and so's your kingdom. And he says it twice for the emphasis of certainty. This man's finished. We've spoken so much about that in, in Lord's Day evenings about Sinning away your day of grace. God said to this man, you're finished, your number's up. The writing was on the wall for Belshazzar, the inevitable, terrible consequences of a life of debauchery and desecration was coming to Belshazzar. His time was up, his days were coming to an end. God has numbered the days of our lives. Read of that in Job 14 and verse 5. The man's days are determined, the number of his months are with, with God. He has appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. That's something we do not want to think about, the day of our death. But, but the reality is we all must needs die, and that day of our death is appointed by Almighty God. We cannot live on this earth beyond that date. Not one of us. There's been great advancements made in the medical and health profession. But human ingenuity and willpower can never, can never conquer death. Death is certain because death is the result of sin and all have sinned. Therefore, all are subject to death. It's a just recompense of sin. But listen, for the Christian, death is not judgment. It's not judgment. Because the sting of death has been taken out of death by the Lord Jesus Christ for a believer. He took what was due for them. And he suffered the awful stroke of divine justice. 
He endured the abandonment of God that they might never taste of the second death. However, death to the unbeliever it is. It is judgment. It is punishment. Why do I say that? Well, it's that which takes the sinner away from all their sinning and all their debauchery and all that they reveled in. It is that which separates them from their drunkenness and the sins of the flesh that they indulge in. Now, it does not take away the desire or the lust for sin. Rather, death will intensify those things for in hell, in hell, listen, sinner, you'll not be able to gratify the lust of your flesh. You'll not be able to do it. God here, He takes, as we read in Scripture, He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but as the righteous, just, and holy God of necessity, He must punish sin in Belshazzar, well, Belshazzar, he had to fear God. He profaned the things of God in a sinful defiance. And Daniel says of him that he lifted up himself against the Lord of heaven. Although he lifted himself up, God was going to cast him down. Belshazzar, his days were numbered. He had filled up his measure. The count in heaven's court was complete. There were no more days to tally off. The stroke was through them all. What about you, sinner? What are the numbers of your days? And many are left to be stroked off in heaven. Do you have any in credit, as it were? Who knows? You may not. Nothing in credit there. Nothing left to stroke off. No more nights. No more days. There's a step, there's a breath between us and death. And we're all heading towards the appointed moment of our death. Therefore, be wise, sinner, and consider your latter end, the determination of Belshazzar's days. But notice also the deficiency of Belshazzar's deeds in the third point. The word tekel is interpreted by Daniel to mean thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. The word it literally means to be weighed and to be found too light. Too light. You see, in those days when they weighed things, they would, they would put whatever standard of weight was on one side of the scale and then on the other, whatever the commodity was, and it had to be balanced. And Daniel was in fact saying to Belshazzar, you know, God's standard is here. It's here. But you come up light. You don't measure up. You don't meet the standard. You've been weighed in God's balances and you're found too light. Too light in your morality. Too light in your spiritual value. Too light in your moral value. Too light in your righteousness. You've come up short. You're too light. Since all have sinned, it's obvious sin, all have come short of God's glory. The sinner doesn't possess a standard, doesn't possess a righteousness that satisfies God. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the individual. We're told in Psalm, Psalm 62, verse 9, Surely men of low degree are vanity, and men of high degree are a lie. To be laid in the balance, they are altogether lighter than vanity. All of us have nothing. We're all light. In God's estimation, 
See, the thought is prevalent among many today. That they think as long as their good deeds outweigh their bad deeds, then everything will be okay. God will, will be satisfied with that attempt, with that effort, and they will enter heaven, they'll avoid hell. Well, there are several problems with that false line of thought. Firstly, man's not the one that determines what's good and bad. That is revealed to us by the objective, righteous, morally pure law of God, summarized in the Ten Commandments. God, God is the one who determines right and wrong, not you or I. The problem is, we've all broken God's law. We've all, we're all guilty, and because of our sins, our, our bad deeds, if you want to put it like that, there are more that can be numbered. They tip the scales of divine justice overwhelmingly towards guilty. You're guilty. And all our problem, we're thinking that it's only a matter of having more good on the scales and bad, is that one tends to measure themselves with themselves or else with someone else. You know, someone who thinks, well, it's only a matter of me tipping the scales in my favor, someone who thinks that way, well, they're naturally going to be more lenient on themselves, obviously. Or else they will say, you know, well, I'm not as bad as that person or this person, well, the measure is not with ourselves. The measure is not with one another. It is with God. It's with God who is perfectly righteous. We all, like Belshazzar, are deficient in righteousness. I spoke about this on Tuesday night. There is none righteous, no, not one. We can never enter heaven unless we have a perfect righteousness. God can't lower a standard. His weights and His measures are just and unchangeable. Good news for you tonight, sinner. The good news in the gospel is that the Lord Jesus, He's provided a perfect righteousness for the sinner. He's provided that for us who come up short. He wasn't found wanting in His life. But He measured up to the standard of God's law. He fulfilled all righteousness and He died to take the punishment for sin. And His is a righteousness which can be yours. Scales of God's justice are balanced by Christ who was counted guilty and treated as such on behalf of sinners so that they might be pardoned. Herein is the message of the gospel. For God hath made Christ to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. If God was to measure you tonight, sinner, if God was to put you on His scales against His standard, not me, not against yourself, not against the person next to you, but if God was to put you in His scales tonight without the weary worth of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, you'd be found too light. You'd be found wanting. You would not measure up, and as such, the sentence of condemnation remains over your head. The deficiency of Belshazzar's deeds, finally, the declaration of Belshazzar's destruction, the last word written on the wall was euphorsin. Daniel says that the word is Perez. Is that a mistake? You maybe wondered that. Is that a mistake? Why does Daniel say it's Perez? Well, it's no mistake if you drop the U in euphorsin. And that's a, word, that's a letter that in the Hebrew it 
uh, means and. And he also dropped the I-N at the end. Well, that indicates a plural concept. And you're left with the three same Hebrew root letters. It's the same word. There's no mistake. The word means divided. Divided. Daniel gives the interpretation. The kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persian. Certain judgment was about to break upon Belshazzar that very night, even though he didn't know it. God tells Belshazzar, you have made your choice. Your days are numbered. You're found wanting. Your kingdom will be taken from you from by your enemy, and you will die. But here's the amazing thing. Here's the amazing thing as he hears this message. Though the message was clear, and though he heard the message, Belshazzar, he does not take heed. Look at verse 29. Look at how he, he responds to this message. Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet, and put a chain of gold about his neck, and made a proclamation concerning him, that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. It's like water off his back. Thank you, Daniel. That's quite a sermon. The fall of Babylon, you say. Perez, it means divided. Imagine that. Here you go, Daniel. He rewards them. Even against the prophet's protest. Maybe he thought that somehow he could obtain favor with God by doing this. I don't know. But it's too late for this man. It's too late. He doesn't ask Daniel. You notice this. He doesn't ask Daniel, well, what can I do? What shall I do? He doesn't make inquiry. And you know, that's just like sinners. Sinners in this meeting tonight. They hear the message. It's clear. It's as clear as I can make it. And yet they do not take heed. Men and women, young people, they sit under the gospel message. They hear it, that they don't measure up. They hear that their days are numbered. And the day of their death is appointed. And they know that they're on the broad road that leads to destruction. And then at the end of the sermon, they get up, they shake the preacher's hand, and as they're going out, they say something like, hello, or thank you, and then they walk out totally unchanged, just like this man, making no inquiry. Daniel, Daniel, how can I make this right? Is there anything that I can do? Can you plead to God to have mercy upon my soul? He doesn't rent his clothes. He does nothing like that, putting on sackcloth and ashes. He just gives over his money and says, that was a right good sermon, thank you. And away he goes on. He goes on in his course of life. And that's exactly like sinners in this meeting who walk out Sunday night after Sunday night after Sunday night. Thank you very much. Hello, Reverend Stuart. Hello, Reverend Greer. How are you? Thank you. It's clear. It's plain. Judgment is coming. And the days are numbered. Verse 30. And that night was Belshazzar the king of the Chaldeans slain. You know, God has many means to bring sinners to the judgment. For Belshazzar it was an army of an enemy on the 16th day of the Jewish month, Tashiri, 539 B.C., that night the Medes and the Persians, they built a dam on the river Euphrates. It flowed under the wall of the city, but they diverted all of the water except for a little shallow portion into a swampland. And when the water began to fall, 
In the midst of that banquet, the soldiers, they marched underneath the wall. They killed the guards. They threw open the gates of the city. And the whole Medo-Persian army, they descended on that city in one fell swoop. And they executed every man in that city. Judgment came. He wasn't untouchable. Neither are you. And you might think, well, I'm untouchable to God because my mom and dad are praying for me. Foolish notion. They are praying for you. But you should never think yourself secure. You should never think to yourself, I'm laying down the gauntlet, laying down the challenge to God. I'm willing to take what He has given and what should have been for His glory and for His honor, and I'll take all that He has given, my health, my strength, and I will desecrate it all. I will live for the flesh. I will provoke the God of heaven by my sin. I will challenge the God of heaven. God will accept the challenge. God is giving you a message tonight, sinner. It's not the fingers of a man's hand writing a message on the wall. It's through the preaching of the Word. It's no less. It is no less a message from Him. What are you going to do? Why was Belshazzar damned? Well, Daniel tells us in verse 22, is because he did not humble his heart, though he knew the truth. That's what you need to do tonight, sinner. You need to get out of the and climb out of the tree of your pride. And acknowledge you are a sinner, and you do come short of God's glory and God's standard, and you need to humbly call upon the Lord to forgive you for Christ's sake. Doesn't matter what other people think. You might be there and you might think, well, people think I'm a Christian. Get out of your tree of your pride. Humble yourself. You know these things. Call upon God. Will you do that tonight? The writing is on the wall. It's on the wall because there is only one inevitable outcome if you continue to reject Christ. The writing's on the wall. Come to Him now. Come without delay. He will, he will have mercy upon you. Come inquiring. Inquire of us ministers. What shall I do to be saved? What can I do to make this right? Judgment is upon me. Death is around. I need to be saved tonight. Tell me, what can I do? We will open the Scripture. And we will counsel you from God's Word. And we will show you to Christ. And His perfect righteousness. And then you will have acceptance with God. May the Lord bless His word to our hearts for His own name's sake. Let's bow in prayer. And just in the stillness before we pray. Again, I make myself available, Reverend Greer as well. There is the minister's room. It's private. The door will be shut. You can come. You can speak to us. Go around the side of the building or down the little corridor there beside the prayer room. The door's at the front to my right, to your left. Meet us there. Meet us there. If you have questions, your queries, these things are upon your mind, your heart. That's why we're here as ambassadors of Christ. 
We avail of that opportunity. But even now, right now, call upon the Lord. Confess Him as your own personal Savior. Come without delay. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before Thee. We thank the Lord for the historical accuracy of the Word of God. And we thank Thee, O Father, from for what we can learn from this chapter and the warning that's here. And I pray, Lord, Thou hast given the message. I am sure of that. And Lord, just like You had a message for Belshazzar, so this is a message for someone or maybe more than one in this meeting tonight. Oh God, we pray that, Lord, it just wouldn't be an outward trembling, but the soul, the heart of those individuals will be deeply troubled, that will cause them to inquire, cause them to call out to God for mercy. We thank Thee for the Lord Jesus, Oh, we look to him, the loveliness, the perfection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, you've said in your word that if you should mark iniquities, well, then there's none of us that would stand. But we thank thee there's no mark, no blemish, no spot, there's no imperfection in Christ. And I pray, Lord, for those who in this meeting or oh, across the world, the internet, wherever they might be, Lord, you'll speak to them. You'll have mercy. Lord, that thou would bring them to thyself. Lord, bless thy people in the week that lies before us. Our days, they are numbered. They're being chalked off in heaven's court. And we know not our days, but teach us to number them, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom, that we would redeem the time because the days are evil. Now I pray that the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit will be the portion of thy people this night and forevermore until the day break and the shadows of this old world flee away. And we're there in that land that is fairer than day around the feet of the blessed Savior. Do us good. May thy hand be upon us. We ask this all in Christ's precious name. Amen.